0: Thanks very much Kevin and Anne-Marie for asking me to be here. I don't know all of you, but I know some of you and um, I think that I had better say a little bit about uh, my background before I start because I'm in danger of making assumptions and I think my background will probably tell you why I might be making assumptions. I um, uh, will start with telling you a little bit about my background and my worry that I've turned into a normal fart, as I keep saying to Kevin. Um, but I, I, what I want to try and do is to take advantage of um, my position, not only to look backwards, but, but to think about what's going on now and what could, where spaces are for education. Um, Before I do that, then I'd better get to grips with the technology. Uh, there we go. i beginning. Okay. Come on. Good. Great. So um, my background is, (laughs) this is embarrassing. I taught my first adult education class at the University of Leicester in 1978. So uh, next year will be my 40th anniversary as an adult educator. I was a very, very, very young postgraduate student and um, postgraduate's um, in psychology, which was the discipline I was in, were invited to earn a bit of money on the side. And my first class was in a school um, in West uh, Leicester. Um, and we all, I mean, the, it, was, it was a high school, so we went on little seats, although I have taught on little seats as well. Um, and the class was interested in psychology, and I was co-teaching with a colleague who was taking a PhD and working in um, Leicester Prison as a prison officer. So we were quite an interesting combination. Me, this kind of rabid feminist of 22, and him, um, a prison officer. And I, it was absolutely enticing and thrilling, and I thought it was really fantastic, because I was also teaching undergraduates at the time, um, running um, uh, experiments and things like that with them, which I found rather boring. Anyway, I was fortunate enough to get a job in the Department of Adult Education and Extramural Studies at the University of Leeds in 1980. And I stayed at the University of Leeds. I won't bore you with all the changes of names that we had for the department before it was actually eventually pulled apart. Until 2009, when I came to Birkbeck, which is also, I would say, an adult education institution, like you do, um, where I was lucky enough to be the Dean of the School of Social Science, History and Philosophy until September. And at that point, I thought, actually, that's enough. <laughs> I'm going to go half-time, I'm going to write some stuff, and then I will stop doing this, and I'll do some other things. Maybe take that class in Japanese calligraphy or photography or whatever. Anyway, that's, that's my background. And the problem for me is that to speak about adult education is to speak about myself, it's to speak about things that I am completely and totally enmeshed in and passionate about, and I find it really difficult therefore, to get any distance on it and to treat this as a as an academic occasion. And I really, really struggled with this. But what I want to try and do is to say a little tiny bit about the history, but to focus quite a lot on where some of the, the sort of adult education has disappeared to, and then to say something about where I think there is a space for us, and a, quite an important space, in my view. Okay, so um if we think about the late 19th early 20th century purposes of education then think about late 20th century purposes and then think about purposes and forms now in 2017 that's the kind of structure i'm trying to use but there's a caveat that i want to introduce from my colleague um, malcolm chase one of the problems i have by the way is that huge number of the people who write, who have written about adult education, have been through the department? So they all feel like my mates, my chums. Um, and if they haven't been through the department, then they've railed against the department in some way or another. You know, um, the department was. was An important place alongside others uh, in the history of adult education for a long, long time. But Malcolm Chase says about histories of adult education historians of adult education have been primarily concerned with the verification of a tradition constructed from preferred histories arising out of contemporary provision. Such an approach is shot through with conceptual ambiguities and problems. Um, And he goes on to say, you know, let's get away from talking about the institutions of adult education in its canonical forms, the Mechanics Institutes, the extension movement, the WEA. And we need to be thinking about the formative and transformative processes not conventionally accorded the title of education, but which can be seen as extending and enhancing learning. And I think that's really important because institutions of adult education were often places... Um, in the 19th and 20th centuries and into the 21st century, which were not only about the institution, they were about all sorts of things that were going on around the edges, normally um, squirrelling away resources from the institution to put them somewhere else to do things which the institution would not have been very pleased about if it had known. Anyway, um, I think think that's one important thing to think about. I think the other one, which I found um, in... So this is 1887 science supplement about the university extension movement at Cambridge. I don't expect you to read that, but there's a bit of this which I think is very important. And it is this, so this is taken from that piece, that one of the purposes of adult education, the 19th century purposes about adult education, was to do with a sort of liberal um, civilising tendency. You know, we, we, we need to share... Um, As it says um, here, we need to open up the, the university to those who desire knowledge, not diplomas or degrees, in the broader view, which lays upon a place of learning, the duty of using its talents to the utmost and offering its treasures freely to all who can benefit of them and sincerely desire to do so. In other words, the place of the university is not just to provide qualification, but it has this other important role. But... And I think this is often forgotten. The other uh, incentive for developing certainly the extension movement in the 19th century where Oxford and Cambridge sent young people and old people and people they couldn't find jobs for out into the wilds of Yorkshire and elsewhere to develop the extension movement is this. This is from that 1887 science piece. No more efficient means can be found of connecting the old English universities which have too often been considered as hotbeds of clericalism and Toryism, with the growing life of the nation especially in the most democratic districts so this is really an argument that the extension movement was intended um, to <laughs> if you like as a bit of pr for the institutions to change to, to change the way in which the institutions were thought of to change their relationship with with the public i'm going to come back to that point right at the end because i think that is very very important and i think the same thing is happening now in a different guise but it's the same and i think that's where our chance is so um another purpose um was of the education of the working class um, roger fieldhouse says in his um history of adult education um to educate the working class, conform happily to their allotted roles in society to produce a more efficient workforce, to alleviate the alienating effect of industrialisation. It's a 19th century um, perspective on adult education from some quarters. Of course, even this was um, controversial, to say the least. I've taken this quote, because I just think it's too good not to use, um, from a 19, from the 1919 report of the Adult Education Committee, of the Ministry of of Reconstruction, which quotes somebody, suppose, argued a country gentleman, that some friend of humanity were to attempt to improve the condition of the beasts of the field, to teach the horse his power and the cow her value. Would he be that tractable and useful animal he is? Would she be so profuse of her treasures to a helpless infant? Could there be anything more impolitic? And I think that that controversy, and I, I think there are still aspects of that which pervade um, our discussions in the UK. Nobody would ever say that, but I think it's there, this idea about people in their place and people being um, educated for their purpose, for for their station in life. I mean, I suspect you agree, but it's interesting how uncoded it was there. And of course, the third set of, of, of purposes, absolutely critical, Um, In the setting up of my own organisation, I would say there were a combination of values. One of, so Birkbeck I'm talking about, one of which was this idea of um, educating the worker to do the the worker's job better and to expand the notion of work. But the other, often not quoted by my institution, is from a guy called um, Hodgkin. Hodgkin was one one of the people who tried to convince George Birkbeck to come and help be the... Um, official front of um, this new institution and this is from Hodgkin um, in 1825 as the labourers acquire knowledge the foundations of the social edifice will be dug up from the deep beds into which they were laid in times past they will be curiously handled and closely examined and they will not be restored unless they were originally laid in justice and unless justice commands their preservation so I think we would recognise that as critical social purpose engagement in thinking about potentially social and political change, so of course, there was opposi- opposition to these views um, a very famous uh, quote which my institution often uses uh, from also eighteen twenty five A scheme more completely adapted for the destruction of this empire could not have been invented by the author of evil himself. Sorry, uh, other than that, which the depraved ambition of some men, the vanity of others and the supineness of a third and more important class has so nearly perfected. So again, huge resistance to, to what was going on. Quite right from this point of view, because actually it was about the destruction of this empire. I mean, that, that, Hodgkin certainly had that in mind. So those three different kinds of purposes, I suppose you might call it a liberal purpose, a vocational purpose, and a social change purpose, I think if we unpack the history of adult education through the 20th century, we see those running alongside each other, overlapping with each other, to greater and lesser extent, but the public face of adult education was certainly not about social change and social purpose. The public face was about liberal adult education. The extension movements in universities, later when the government funded what were called responsible bodies, in other words they set aside money specially for adult education, which had nothing to do with university funding, Um, the responsible body status was given to, I think, 25 or 26 universities. Um, And those universities had a big region. They were supposed to deliver adult education to people in those regions. In terms of their quality, they weren't accountable to the university. They were inspected by um, Her Majesty's inspectorate. So they a completely different regime. Certainly that was how it was when I came into my job. And it allowed for a certain kind of, um, on the one hand, uh, university fe- universities feeling that they were accountable to their communities through this, this kind of process, this extramural work, as many, many departments were called. And on the other hand, for some, it allowed um, uh, departments of adult education and extramural studies to do things without the university knowing about them. So um, important writers like E. Thompson, Richard Hoggart, um, and many more that I could name in the 50s were developing their ideas through their adult education classes, through the process of adult education. But on the surface of it, that wasn't part of what was going on. Through the, I, I would say, very quickly, um, uh, through trying to think about how to speak about adult education I think it's really important to acknowledge therefore up front um, that I can't because it was many, many, many things I took a list just just of stuff that was going on in my in my department in the 80s Um, my, um, again previous colleague Richard Taylor talks about university adult education being complex and contested complex doesn't begin to describe it So this is a list of the stuff that was going on in my department, extramural courses um, and empires, in other words funded by these responsible bodies, joint provision with all sorts of people, access and new opportunities for women programmes, community-based programmes, we had the nerve to call it pioneer work for disadvantaged adults, trade union education, continued vocational education, part-time degree development, certificates and other university equivalent qualifications and on and on and on. So, to talk about university adult education is quite difficult. There was no discourse of widening participation, but there was this kind of um, possibility of a different kind of education which involved adults, unfortunately often second class. So, for example, taking place um, outside the university with students not allowed to use the university library. Many, many, many other education departments had huge problems about getting resources to university. So I was employed, part of my job, my first job at Leeds was that I was responsible for the library, which actually meant overseeing two people to pack book boxes, to send them out to all the different places where we, we, we taught. And, uh, and that was how we were supposed to work. I mean, that was how we worked. But of course, labelling these different strands of adult education, saying, okay, there, there are all these different um, bits, they overlapped in many, many different kinds of ways. And I, I found this, because I really, really like this. So this. This was a project that I was involved in in 1986. So I'm very proud of that. Uh, 86, 87, called New Technology for Women. So I think that was pretty much... The, start of the personal computer time and we decided that we were going to set up some programs for women and so I mean uh, this was our marketing uh, material and it says you don't need any qualifications to join the courses come and find out how new technology could affect employment for women learn some basic computer skills there's a crash find out how new technology can affect our lives and our health. And you've got it embedded in there that there's a whole range of purposes as to why we were doing those courses. Actually, we were doing them for social change reasons, but we were selling them in all sorts of other ways. And I think that was often the case with things, what, what I might call some of, the, some of the activities which looked on the surface to be pretty, um, pretty vocational. I mean, of course, there was a lot of work going on, which wasn't like that. But I think I think it's difficult for us to understand the extent to which we have to look a bit beyond the surface of what things were called and how they were described to understand some of the processes of change. Of course, what happened in the early 90s was that... Um, Uh, adult education was mainstreamed and I can say much more about that but I think others have written very very eloquently about that process in other words the responsible body status was taken away the funding was rolled up for universities and it became universities decisions as to whether or not they ran adult education and the long series of changes which again I could go into um, but it's it's too painful and boring but involving things like effective student hours and all sorts of other notions happened. And gradually universities, as they were mainstreaming uh, university adult education, began to say, especially as they started to think about their own education in a slightly different way, perhaps became more um, progressive in who they might consider taking their courses, university, and, and they started to expand very quickly plus the university sector itself expanded very quickly when um, what had been polytechnics became universities and they had different student makeup. All of that, I think, began to foreshadow the point at which universities would begin to say, well, why do we need these special departments doing these rather wacky things with, with people who are frankly an embarrassment and a nuisance sometimes, you know, <coughs> when they get involved with the trade unions and they do all sorts of, you know, things that are not not how we think academics should behave and I think the development of the discourse of widening participation whilst many of us welcomed it hugely um, was was I think part of one of the problems for us that we moved from a discussion about widening provision widening provision is the idea that what goes on in universities needs to change fundamentally to widening participation, which is that the people who go to university, we need to expand the institution, and and it's about individuals rather than about the institution. God, that is so, um, how should I put it, uh, bland, and and doesn't begin to describe the complexity of it, but anyway, it's our view. And of course, there were many people who contested that. Jane Thompson's book, Stretching the Academy, is very critical about some of the discourse of, of widening participation. So we move until um, uh, 2005, 2007, um, when uh, the Labour government um, uh, put the final nail in the coffin for adult education and said that um, anybody who had a qualification and was studying for another qualification at the same level would not be funded um, by um central funds the elq rule, rule my own um college birkbeck i mean it did me a favor because i got a job out, out of it because it, we restructured but Burtbeck lost 38 percent of its funding in well, one fell swoop now you could argue that this is right that that absolute. this is absolutely right that um if you have limited resources and people have made this argument many many times if you have limited resources then you need to use those resources to um, support people who haven't already had a chance at higher education but of course many of you will like me make all kinds of other arguments about the nature of education and the idea that somehow um, it's always about um, uh, something that happens early on in your life and then that's it you never change your mind you never need any further education and also, it meant that the spaces which um, adult education departments had carved out for themselves, the spaces on the edges of doing more radical, more uh, social purpose work, um, were were either exposed altogether or um, just funding. That, I mean, you know, funding was often used in ways that were not obvious and uh, those all of those kind of possibilities began to close down so a whole load of other things happened as well we tend to think about the universities as places which do these things in a vacuum but for me if i think about adult education today then i have to think about what else is going on where some of the people who would have done Japanese calligraphy or come and take in a class in French what would they be doing and I think we can think about them in a number of ways how long have I got about one minute okay Um, so I'm going to just put some slides up I want to just throw throw one thing up before I do that and that is that universities themselves have started to think very hard about where they stand I, I like this from the higher um, which was as a result of the Brexit vote. This, is, this was very soon after the vote. Brexit vote prompts academic soul-searching over gulf with public. And you know, um, adult educators who have been around for a long time would say, well, <laughs> what did you expect? You stop talking to people, you stop engaging with people, you're out of touch with them. And you've, you've done that deliberately. You, clo- you closed down the adult education departments, actually it's not very helpful. So I think there's a view of adult education around the place. Um, and lots and lots of people thinking about it and doing it, which is as a kind of one-off, you know, that it's about knowledge sharing, it's about information, entertainment, self-development, problem-solving, political, maybe thought-provoking or whatever. And some examples, which I just pulled off the website, these are very London-based, but they will, you will have equivalents in your own cities. Um, the Lost Labs, who run... If I read this to you the lost Labs is a cultural laboratory consultancy experience design studio that pushes the boundary of how brands culture, and audiences interact and they hold um lectures all over the place so they hold them in um swimming pools and um in the gas gasometers up at King's Cross and all the rest of it um this is five by fifteen who run um what they say five speakers fifteen minutes um a very very popular series um school of life just around the corner from us who run um all sorts of things to do with um uh, as it says here developing developing emotional intelligence through the help of culture was set up by Alain de de botton who's a philosopher um and promotes all kinds of courses we might not want to go and do those courses but the point i'm trying to make is people are engaged um in studying studying in inverted commas um Google does its own thing, TED Talks do their own thing, and so on. So there's one version, which is of adult education as a form of consumption, um, of information, entertainment, and so on and so forth. I'm not being critical of that, just saying we need to remember that that has blossomed, and there are many entrepreneurs who are working these are not, none of these are publicly funded they're people who think this is important and who are working to make it happen there's another strand that i would i would say maybe is a, about um, a more sustained approach to education perhaps a more sustained engagement perhaps more systematic than what i've been talking about so the, this is the map of the u3a branches and i mean there are thousands of them um, the the ones in circles are where there's more than one branch you can't actually see the numbers but there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of branches we can be critical of the u3a but i don't think we should ignore it and i don't think we should ignore the fact that it emerged exactly at the time as extramural departments were being closed down um, reading groups which i think are a most extraordinary phenomenon how many how many of you are in a reading group Hands up. That, yeah that's my point um So reading groups, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reading groups nationally, um, thousands of reading groups probably, um, that I think uh, we underestimate why they exist, what their purpose is. Um, This is a slide from um, something... Called Zooniverse, which is um, citizen science engagement and citizen science in a systematic way that people can contribute to not only counting birds but counting stars or um, tracking weather or whatever whatever their interests are. Many, many, many varieties of, um, of things. I mean, I mention this late because it's the obvious one, but of course there's all the online courses, um, and then. Where is adult education as social and transformative activity? It's there on the margins, in the spaces, in between, in the sometimes explicitly, sometimes not so explicitly. This is um, the uh, reading group. This is a reading group, the London Feminist Book Group and Social Club. Gosh, fantastic. Um, which has 1,084 members, I think, um, as an example. This is something called the How-To Academy, which um, runs all sorts of things in London, but um, uh, this is happening in May, President Trump, two, 100 years debate. So again, people will be taking critical, thoughtful perspectives. Um, the Guardian, there's a long story about The Guardian and what it's trying to do. But anyway, it's to a limited extent engaging critically in a format which is not actually that different from other education. Mum's Net, a sustained discussion here about Trump, uh, which goes on for pages and pages and pages, and people's engagement, active engagement in these kinds of arguments, and so on. The point of doing this is not to say that they're equivalent to university education, they serve the same purpose. But I think we make a mistake if we think that there aren't opportunities and forms of near education or education, um, which overlap with many of the social, um, the arguments for social purpose. Of course, only certain kinds of people have the opportunity to do this. Many, many, many of them you have to pay and you have to pay reasonable sums of money. So there is, it seems to me, an argument that university adult education also vanished because some of it, was being overtaken by other other activities, so it was being replaced by other sorts of activities. And I think that's sad. Sorry, I'm going to finish now. Um, so what do I think about where we go next? Well, I think that universities are, as I said, a bit stuck. Their names aren't great. I mean, they, they have the same problem in a way as those 19th century universities. Um, in terms of their relationship with their public. That question about the relationship between university and the public in terms of Brexit, that was just one example. But there are many, many, many other examples. And universities, I think, are trying to rehabilitate themselves through what they're calling public engagement. So public engagement is, is really focused on the relationship between universities' research, that's the point. It's not about mm. education, it's about research, and um, the public and some of that relationship is to do with, or some of the arguments are to do with, in my view, justifying why we spend so much money on research, justifying the public purse. Some of them, some of the work is to do with transforming people's lives and thinking about research as something that we do with others, that we don't do to others. And some of it is about a critical engagement with with knowledge, with making knowledge and arguing about whose knowledge and how we how we create that, that knowledge. So it's, again, like adult education, not necessarily with a social purpose, but nevertheless with an opportunity to do some things, uh, which we don't normally find. I'm almost finished. So Welcome is explicit about its um, brief for researchers. I know this because um, we've had a lot to do with Welcome and their purpose, tainted as the money might be. Their purpose is very interesting because some of it is to do with a criticality about the kind of research that they're engaged in. Um, Universities themselves are setting up great big institutions of public engagement and how they interpret public engagement, I think, is an open discussion. Some interpret it in a pretty narrow sense, but I think this is a space in which other educators could actually open um, the discussion um these are some examples of uh critical of um public engagement in my own university this is a project by one of my colleagues called queer beyond london um which i, I chose this because the new penny is um, a gay pub in leeds and which i know very well um so um there are all sorts of possibilities for a different kind of adult education to happen i think um this is another example from um colleague of mine, uh, uh, Melissa Butcher, who's doing a project in Hackney, working with, um, the project is called Hackney as Home, and it's actually a project which is to do with changing the social relationships and the political relationships in Hackney. So, I've bunged some references on the end, but that list could be about 15 times as long, and um, uh, there is tons and tons to read about, but that's, that's how I see it. Okay, thank you very much indeed.